イ,インザミックスウィズプロブレマティックブラックホッチへインザ You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to be speaking with Joan Silver. Joan, welcome. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. We're speaking on the 17th of February, 2021, and we've got your latest book. It's upcoming, it's going to be out in May, right, Joan? May 4th of Secrets of Happiness out with Counterpoint Press. And thanks to, to Megan for sending for sending a copy my way. We also have a copy of, well, I've got a copy of Improvement, I'll say. I've got a copy of Improvement and also from Grey Wolf Press, The Art of Time in Fiction, as long as it takes. So maybe we can, we can squeeze them all in if, if there's time. Joan, where are you joining us from? Because we're talking via Zoom today. I am in my apartment in New York City on the Lower East Side, where uh, there's a storm alert for tonight, but right now it's quite nice. Thanks so much for talking today. And you're here at Michigan this week, virtually here as part of the Zell Visiting Writers Series. It's just great to have this chance to talk with you, Joan. So the secrets of happiness, it's gonna be hot off the press soon. I'll read your short bio and we'll go from there. Joan Silver is the author of nine books of fiction. Her last book, Improvement, was the winner of the National Book Critics Circle Award and the Penn Faulkner Award and was listed as one of the year's best books. She lives in New York and teaches in the Warren Wilson MFA program. Find out more at joansilver.net, which I just did recently. And I found out, Joan, about Lucille, your dog. Uh Um, I have a 14-year-old dog who's um, a lab, pit, hound, many other things mix, uh, and she's great. She accompanies me uh, as I write. And she's 14. Yeah. That's yeah. a good, that's a good age. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a good age. We just got a puppy recently and she has, we did the DNA test and she has a good percentage of her is super mutt. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Lucille would, would pass that test the same way. <laughs> it makes them stronger. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joan, so the secrets of happiness, this one is the, the ninth book of fiction mm-hmm. out What's the origin story of this novel, this manuscript? Did it start with a secret? 
Or are we just thinking, oh. what the heck? How can we be happy during the time of COVID? <laughs> no, it was way before that I read it. But my, my my friend Myra, who's really one of my closest friends, told me the story of someone um, she'd known who discovered that her husband of many years um, uh, had a whole other family that she didn't know about. Um, and she did then travel to, uh, when they, after the quite, extensive, you know, quite elaborate divorce. She then traveled to the place where the other woman was from, um, uh, which in that case was China. I made it Thailand for my story because I, I know Thailand better. Um, and certainly there are many, you know, many um, tourists who fall in love with the country. So it was easy to use for the way I wanted to use it. I wanted, I, I was even less interested in the sort of guy idea of the guy with the other family than I was in the idea of the travel and the way the travel had sort of worked for her. I mean, I guess that was my my first attraction to the story. It and worked it, for her in like the healing process yes, of this shock yes. and this like what what is my identity? What is my life? Right. And where where you know where can I where else can I be? Um, and in fact she first told me the story because another friend of ours after breakup had gone traveling. Our friend was in Japan and we thought, what a great thing to do. Instead of moping at home, she's in Japan. So all of that sort of got to be in the mix of what this tale became. And then, because I was so interested in this Thai story I had invented and these two, two sons, um, I, I followed the, the Thai family around. I mean, I made that up entirely, but I, you know, I wanted to do that. I, I sent my main character to to Bangkok to you know get a little bit of that in there. Joan, so we start with the family that Ethan has the first chapter mm -hmm. in Secrets of Happiness. And this story was also well this chapter was actually published earlier too. It it almost in a way it reads like it could be a standalone story. Yeah. Yeah it was originally a standalone story and then it grew into the the whole book. Um that's that happened to me a few has it? That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah. Was that, is that what happened with improvement or how, how does your process work? Let's, how do you tick Joan, Joan Silver? <laughs> um, um, that is, that is sort of how my process has worked in probably the last five books, because what's happened is I, I don't work in regular novels. You know, I, I work in a form that's somewhere between linked stories and a novel form. So it often will start, you know, in, in some part. I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, taking a chance on it to see how it will go. Um, and um, in each case, uh, and I've written some stories that didn't yield novels, you know, that weren't going to go further than that. But mostly, you know, I mean, they're long, complicated stories, and I like the idea of then following out the different threads in it and, and seeing where it goes. And I like the idea of going beyond a single character, you know, of incorporating other things, you know, other characters, other places, other times, you know, in this kind of novel that takes a, on a lot of different spots. Because it seems like it's you get this instant ability, well, that you've created for yourself here to pivot perspectives. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, there's two things that I always quote, uh, or that I quoted the last time, and we'll quote again when I do it. One is, my mother tended to say, as, as mothers sort of talk that way more than, but she would say, you're not the only pebble on the beach. 
which just meant it's not welcome news, right? But it just meant, um, you know, don't be so selfish. But I like the idea of, you know, this larger beach as being what I'm talking about. Um, and the other quote, which is often used for books like mine um, is, I'm gonna garble this quote actually, but John Berger said something like, in the future, no story will be told as if it's the only one. Um, uh, so I wanted this notion of the story expanding. Oh, I love that. And that's what, and that's what the experience is when you're reading okay. it, is that these, sure. these layers and different times even, I think yeah. sometimes, right? Like the, which reminds me of like, yeah, that the idea of the danger of a single story too. So this, uh, there's no single story. Could you right. say it again, Joan, just so I can get my, well, I, wrap my head around it a little bit? But it's <laughs> something like in the future, no story will be told as if it's the only one. And when you, when you read that um, or heard it, Joan, is it something where you recognized what you were already doing? Because that was something that you were already working towards or? No, I, I first read it because Arundhati Roy uses it as an epigraph in the God of Small Things in her right. earlier book. And I wasn't doing that then. So I was just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But then it, it came back to haunt me and people have quoted it in reviews of what I do and other writers, you know, it's now a, a popular quote. We love it. Um, we all love it. We're, we're glad to stand by it. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? How there can be this moment where as a, as a writer, but as a reader as well, that comes with the territory, right? <laughs> yes. Where, where there's something that, that does, it resonates with you or it, it's, or it is inspiring to the work. It's almost as if, well, would you say, Joan, that the stories, the fiction and the, the stories in the novels that you had done before that, it was opening up into this? Like it was, you were going towards it. It was, I guess the question in here as I'm going along in it is with this life of writing, we have different moments in it of how we are as a writer. Would you say that's true? And we can make decisions to grow or change or challenge what our practice is or what we find most comfortable in the, or I don't know, what, what, what is it like for you? If you can, <laughs> this meta moment of reflection. Well, I wanted as a, as a writer to, um, in some ways, I always think I have the soul of a miniaturist. You know, I love doing very small, close, intimate scenes. And I always wanted to get larger somehow, and I never know how to do it. Um, and in some ways, my voice hasn't changed in all of these years, but the form I use has. So in the last five books, I've used this form, and I feel that I've done my best work in this form, that it allowed me to move around in a way that was um, both, both changed me in the way I wanted, but was also natural to me. So um, no, it was an important change. It, it was crucial. And it happened with my book, Ideas of Heaven, which is five books ago. That was when I first started doing that. And when you look, when you look back now with secrets of happiness and ideas of heaven, what are some of, because I, I haven't had a chance to read ideas of heaven yet, Joan, what do you see if, for that version of you as a writer? I know the voice the same, mm -hmm. 
Why did I do it then? Are you saying? Or how did you, or I guess, are you able to, sorry, are you able to, and then I just stop asking the question. That's always nice, isn't it? I just wait. <laughs> like, is, is there a way, I don't even know if it's possible to see, because you're saying I'm still, I found this form. I'm still working in this form. These are how like I'm, the stories are, I'm shaping them where they're coming to me. For you, are you able to see different changes that were you of that time? of that, the ideas of heaven, and then now how it's, how you're using it. How I'm using it now differently from when I used it before. That's a great question, actually. Um, I think that it's a little more novel-like now. Ideas of Heaven really it called itself a ring of stories and it was a story collection. And the last, uh, both improvement and the book I'm doing now, really, I've tried to make them more like novels. You know, they, there's a question that's asked in the beginning that is answered at the end, even though we've gone all these different places by the time we get there. Um, so that's been important to me to try and get that. Why? Why? Why did I want to do that? Oh, that's it. Well, partly because um, I wanted to do something different. I'd done these things that were stories and I wanted to make it more novel-like. Um, other than that, I can't, I'm, I mean, I'm still focused on having them be, be unified at the same time that they go all over. The book I'm working on now is also like that. So, but I, I can't tell you why I wanted to go in that direction. It just feels right. It's like the way, it feels like maybe, oh, no, let me tell you why, John. <laughs> oh geez he'll be like this is the worst this is a pit <laughs> no no I like this but I, but I wonder if it's like how you feel like this is the this is the lived experience this is a way of go a way of telling it as the layers of experience oh god now it's like sounds like a bit trite like is how true it is to you this is how it feels like an experience of a of a story because we are all interconnected, right? And there's these moments where, does this happen to you, Joan, where you'll think of someone maybe from middle school randomly and these things or in a dream and you'll be like, what? And then, or, or you'll think of someone, it'll remind you or a scent will remind you of a place and it's from just, but more so people. And, and you think, oh, I wonder how that person is and their lives have taken this whole other tumbling or, you know, this building or unraveling or however lives work, right? And and so is yours. But all these things, we maybe intersect at these different places, um, but all these I, lives are ongoing. Yes, that, I, and I love that sense. I, lo I love that feeling of those connections and of trying to... Um, so I just, um, a friend of mine is reading um, or Orwell's essays and I picked up, I thought I have, a, I have an edition of that somewhere. And the edition that I picked up has the name of someone uh, who must have lent it to me and I never gave it back. <laughs> I haven't seen since high school. Um, and of course I can invent a whole life for him in my head if I want to, you know? So um, that- Did you? <laughs> I did, well, sort of. I, I did start sort of mentally speculating. So I love that. I mean, I love the, you know, the richness of that in, in our lives. I'm also an urban person. And in fact, one, I mean, I love living in New York. I love the sense of other people going on around me. And um, someone asked me recently, um, it's like eavesdropping in New York, which you always do. You're, you're having your own life at one table, but at the next, I mean, when we used to be able to sit in restaurants, but at the next table, there's this whole thing going on that you're, you're kind of listening to. So I, I like that. And I like that sense of bringing that in. And it also, I mean, the novel 
you know, has the vice of being narcissistic sometimes. It can follow through a character. I, I don't mean, I don't mean that's no good. There are wonderful novels that, you know, we've all read that do that. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get a sense of lots of things going on in one and lots of, at once and lots of different lives um, doing. I also like, I mean, as in the book and time in fiction, I like um, long times. I like the sense of stories that, you know, go on for long, for whole lifetimes kind of. And why is that something that interests you? Like, what, what do you think about the way you, you work, Joan, that that's something that's interesting to you? Well, I think it started to interest me when I had lived longer. Um, I wanted, you know, I wanted to reflect back on all of the things I've known. And also, you know, I've had a bunch of different lives, like, oh, I used to do that. And now I do this. It's always so con continuous. So that was part of the, you know, my own development that way. Can we talk about your development as a writer, like as a as a young writer? Because it seems you you went to Sarah Lawrence and NYU, and you you worked with Grace Paley. Yes, yes, she, um, she was my teacher at Sarah Lawrence. In fact, it was her first teaching, really, when I had her as a teacher, and, and um, she was just extraordinary as a personality, you know, and as someone to um, to kind of model myself after. She was great. How, how so? Can you, like, when you say that, well, what, does, she, what did um, it mean to you? Well, actually, I was writing poetry at the time. I thought it was going to be a, a poet, which is probably just as well I did not inflict on the world. But um, and uh, she, she had all of the people writing poetry try to write fiction and vice versa. That was one of her assignments, right? People wouldn't do that now. Um, but the other thing that was great about her is that she was very interested in voice and in character as the premise for stories. Uh, probably didn't really believe in plot in certain ways. I had to, whatever I learned about that, I had to figure out myself. But um, that emphasis on really listening to people and trying to get who people were was very much from Grace. That makes a lot of sense because I'm thinking is it enormous changes at the last, like, um, yeah, and, and, it, and it may, when you said uh, working in like a miniaturist or two, like this very closeness, like this intimacy in these moments. Yes, I want, you know, I wanted that. And I, I and I probably, some of that I got from her, certainly. Um, it's, I think that you you mentioned how you didn't get plot from Grace Bailey, <laughs> but I would say like, however, I, that maybe we can talk about how you found that or how you worked into that, because I feel like secrets of happiness, like there's, there's, and also improvement, um, it moves so quickly. And, and it's, I think part of that is to do with the structure of how you're pulling the reader forward in a really in a great way. Um, so what do you want to ask me? Oh, about <laughs> plot, because you're right. kind oh, of saying, that, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how is that? Um, certainly, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what the character would do. I mean, that's my idea of plot, right? What would they do next? And how can I get something out of that? How, and how could I push it further? For instance, in improvement, you know, I had Kiki, this, you know, aunt who's, you know, gone places and does done things. And then I have her niece, Raina, who's also kind of a, a wild young thing in lots of ways. And when I decided that Raina had a, um, a boyfriend who was in jail, who was at Rikers, um, 
I knew that the plot could rev up from that, that something could then happen as a result of that. But I didn't know what was going to happen until I went further. With okay. Can, so then I see, I see. Cause then, because when he gets out on probation, then there's the friends like staying at Maxwell's and then the plan to go for the cigarettes Yes. to yeah. the, the South. Okay. Yeah. It's so, it's interesting because there's a way that with secrets of happiness, I read this one first um, that I didn't, as a, as a reader, the voice is so strong and what's happening in it, the, the why of what's happening um, and what's next, that I didn't at first know that they were going to be, didn't know how your way of working. And what I really like too is even though then I, once I realized <laughs> And then I wanted to figure out, it still felt like it wasn't, it was authentic, it was real. It wasn't like, oh, now, now the writer is going to choose, in this case, Joan, <laughs> is going to choose this character because this hasn't, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like a game. I don't know where I'm trying to say with this exactly, Joan. But How do you- as an investigation more than a game, I guess. That's what I'd like to think. Yeah. Yeah. And how, so how do you investigate? How do you move forward as you are? And because does, I mean, sometimes as a reader, we think, oh, this is the way it came to Joan, but that doesn't necessarily isn't the, the way it came. How, um, how do you move forward? Well, unlike most um, good professional writers, I, I make it up as I go along. So it's a little bit different that way. So I, I, I had the given story, which was this guy has a whole other family and the wife goes to another country. Um, uh, and then I, so then I had, oh, we'll find out what's going on in Thailand with this other family and also how they fared in the US. Um, and then I had, I had these other characters like, oh, he had this girlfriend. What happened with the girlfriend's boyfriend? But, you know, so once, you know, I've made up these little pieces then that I then get to follow out. And I love doing that. I, you know, the same way in conversation, you would say, well, what happened to that person? So I, I'm, I'm interested in doing that. There is, in the actual manufacture of it, there's more trial and error than later shows. Like I would have picked up some character I, you know, I, I couldn't use. Oh no, they're not interesting. I can't use them. But or or I or I made up all these adventures that didn't work for somebody. Um, but I do invent it as I go along. I don't pre-think it, except in the case of um, improvement. I um, I knew that uh, there's a there's a a death that happens in the beginning, and I knew it was going to have further ramifications later on, that there was going to be something that the Reina character had to do in relation to that. Um, and in Secrets of Happiness, the same thing sort of happens, that something about the, um, the father's other family has to sort of work itself out a little bit in the end with the character Ethan has to work itself out in, the, in this book. You know, something comes around in the end. And because with Secrets of Happiness, Joan, you mentioned that it's the most novelistic, like it's pushing towards being this, uh, because it, it poses a question at the beginning and answers it at the end. And because that was also the, you said the given story, is it, 
did you have, or did you discover the question? Like in that story, did you already feel like you had the question? When did that happen? Oh no, I discovered, I think I discovered what was, you know, what I wanted to come around again in the end. I mean, what everybody makes of that situation. I would say also, whenever I give readings from that first chapter, because it is the first chapter, I ended up reading from it a lot. People always came up to, every single time someone has come up to me afterwards and said something like, I had an uncle like that. So the the incidence of, I have no experience of this myself, but the incidence of second families is more common than I would have guessed. Um, and different, sometimes people don't find out until the character dies. There's all sorts of, you know, ways they, they find it. But, um, but I did become curious as to how that double life, you know, um, kind of kind of works itself out and the effects it has on on, on people. Yeah, it's so intriguing. It's so, um, yeah. <laughs> and in a way, I will kind of leading to a different question though, because we move to different each in Secrets of Happiness, each chapter has the name of the character whose perspective that we'll be, we'll be with. And so, as we said earlier, Ethan is the first. And then um, do we move to Joe? I'm trying to think who's. Yes, we move to Joe. He's half to move yeah. to joe and then who is who you mentioned joan is the son the oldest son of the second family character introduced in ethan's story the ethan's father so i guess ethan's half brother do you have maps of all of this on your walls no do you... sometimes i make little lists because i lose track the thing that I lose track of most, and my editor is wonderful at helping with this, is time. Sometimes I will have had something I mean, happen like, no, he was not that age then. You know, that I, because so much time passes in my stories, I often get that wrong and have to go back and correct it. And that I have to make little charts of who was where. And um, this time my editor wanted me to throw in a few things that would have happened during that time so that we wouldn't lose track of where we were. Um, you know, maybe he did that the last time too. Um, you know, where we were in 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 time. Um, you know, in in terms of the outer world. Um, but otherwise, I can keep track of the characters. Okay, I usually mm. know who's doing what. But they have the move. That makes that makes total sense. With can you think of an example of the time? so that you can anchor it in like the present time for for secrets of i think is in secrets of happiness do you have the former presidents is oh, yes. he part there's of lot, it there's a lot about he gets he uh, it's 2016 i mean he gets elected in a number of the or or there's talk of his election and um uh people's you know shock at that uh, in in quite a few of the pieces because i actually i started with secrets of happiness and then i'm still in improvement so and i'm getting <laughs> close to the end so i realized as i was coming to talk with you today joan i really set myself up for a com confusing kind of <laughs> my worlds are colliding <laughs> improvement and happiness <laughs> but okay but i do have i do I'm, I'm i'm back with secrets of happiness here so so we have ethan as the first perspective joe the second so what is it like then to be writing from into these characters and Joe is is half Thai so he's Thai American what do you like about inhabiting these different different characters with different perspectives and and Ethan is I think I think Ethan is a white upper class gay male right right okay. Jewish also Jewish culturally yeah. rather than uh, observantly um no I love doing that I don't want, I mean 
I wouldn't want to write about me all the time. That would be too limiting. Um, in, in my own life, I love to travel. I started traveling in Asia about 20 years ago, and I have loved, I can't, I can't go now, right? But I have loved to do it as much as I possibly can. So I've been most of the places where the, where the book takes place. Um, but that sense of, I mean, the same thing that makes me want to go to all these different places makes me want to use different characters as well. You know, that, that sense of scope and, um, you know, seeing through what you don't really know about. And, and I mean, that said, there's certain kinds of characters I probably couldn't do, but um, within, within my limits, I like to move around as much as I can. And how do you, like, how, how as a writer are you defining the limits, Joan? Like, is it what, yeah, how do you, how do you do that? I don't usually do people who um, are very dominant or very, um, uh, very obsessed with money. I mean, people sort of want it in this book, but not just stuff about love and money, but not, not in that way. And very, um, you know, very caught up in status and, you know, delightful objects and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not good at that. Other people can write about that much better than I can. So that's um, off limits. Um, my characters are probably usually well-intentioned. Um, they might be oblivious on many occasions and they might wound other people, but they're not malicious as a rule. Yes. Like even, I'm thinking of improvement now. I'm thinking of the, I think the character Steph, Steffi, maybe. Oh, um, yes, yes. Stephanie's sort of foolish, but she's not, she's not bad. She's, yeah. Yes, and sort yeah. of as, and maybe the, the outer limits of a character that you would write, because she's the one that I felt like was also kind of superficial and like went, went to Paris to get the, the clothes with the. It's, but we're not in Steffi's point of view, we're in her daughter's point of view. So oh. we're not inside her in that in that way. Oh, and De yes. and Dieter's too, right? Like so how Dieter sees her. her. Angles. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, right, right, okay. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Joan, would you mind reading something from Secrets of Happiness? Why don't I read Joe? Why don't I read the next section? Great. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. So again, I'm reading a, a male character, but you can just sort of hear it through my voice. <clears throat> this is Joe speaking. My high school girlfriend wanted me to marry her. Who gets married in high school? My mother isn't even married, I said. That's your argument, Veronica said. It was very devoted of her, very desperate. She was going off to college in the fall to Michigan, and I was staying home in Queens, neighborhood guy that I was and she didn't want to lose me. We had sex whenever we could that summer before she left, but I didn't make any false promises. I'd be reeking from my job washing dishes at the Golden Treasure Thai restaurant, and she'd act as if sweat and grease were so seductive she couldn't stand it. All summer we were at it, with melancholy adding deeper pangs to the act. Wherever I was, she was in my head every second, but I knew it couldn't last forever. And it didn't. We phoned and emailed every day the first month. Miss you, miss you, we wrote. But then she got busy with school and extra activities they had at night. And I was taking computer courses and still putting in my hours at the restaurant. And right when she had to talk to me about a certain person she met in cinema club, he knew amazing things about film. I already had a thing going 
with a girl in my intro to data structures class. You know how sorry I am, she said, and she was tearful. My voice was hoarse when I said I was sorry too. Part of me was relieved, but not as relieved as I expected. You're better off, my mother said, not ready for any weddings. Veronica married that guy from college right after graduation. And it turned out his last name was the name of a famous department store. He came from a family with unspeakable sums of money. I never thought that was why she married him. She wasn't like that. And people told me they lived in a junky apartment in Bushwick before those blocks got so gentrified. I heard he wasn't into showing showy spending, the husband. He worked as a cameraman, which paid decently when any field want, film wanted him, which wasn't that often. People said he was an okay guy. He would never be okay by me, but that wasn't his fault. Thanks, Joan. <laughs> I do. So I can tell from um, listening there that you, you kind of get a kick out of Joe. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, what is your, when you're, when you're in the drafting stages, how, what is that like for you, Joan, with that, like with the characters, with, for, with Joe, for example, are you, is it pretty clear? His, it seems like his voice is pretty clear to you. Um, I knew he was right away, I have to say. Um, I'm not quite sure how I did, but they're not based on real people. There's no model for Joe. Um, but, you know, um, I, I knew he was from Queens. You know, he had, to be, he had to be something local enough so that I had the right to deal with him. He can't, he can't be that Thai um, for, for me to be the author, you know, speaking through him. Um, so, but I wanted him, I always want characters with some zip to them, you know, some um you know vibrancy um and also because i mean the other story is about marriage right the first first chapter you know is about marriage so i wanted him so i so i had a topic for him to be dealing with um and about you know should he marry should he not marry what does it mean to be married so that gave me a, an opening uh, for that is that somehow something that's working in the structure joan because is Mabel next like is that something that happens then with the story with the chapter after Joe is there a continuing topic but with this new person right I'm dealing with yes I'm dealing with this I mean people hate to use the, the threads theme, or... theme but I am dealing with ideas so I'm dealing with I mean the whole book is really about love and money um uh, in fact when that's when that chapter was published separately that was the title of it I didn't want to use that as a title because it's, it is also very much about how he, people make their own forms of happiness within you know, the unjust universe we all live in. So um, how, they, you know, how they arm themselves for, or gird themselves for what's gonna go on around them. Um, and that's why the mother, who's really sort of a side character is an important one because I liked the way she dealt with her great disappointment in having a deceptive husband. So all of that, all of these are ideas that are curling around the under underpinnings of the book and giving me ideas as I go along. Yes, because I'm thinking also of Joe's brother also. Jack is his name, the naughty brother. <laughs> yes, 
Yeah. And so, because Joe takes a trip. So yeah, people are traveling all the time. And it's, what's interesting is there's so much that in each of these chapters, it feels like Joe is along because the story is expansive. You were saying, like we were talking about earlier, Joan, so that it feels like it covers the whole, the element that makes it a novel rather than linked stories. Because it feels like he's expanded into everything. Yes, that's what I wanted. That's exactly what I wanted. Joan, do you know, does he, does he come back? Does Joe come back? Um, He doesn't get his own chapter. Only Ethan does too. Well, only Ethan. Only Ethan gets a second chapter. I'm trying to think if Joe is um, mentioned. I don't think so. That's what's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because some of the characters are m- mentioned or have these different cameos, you know, parts of these. But he doesn't. But he feels like he's in it because of the story is so expansive. And Thailand is mentioned later. There are other characters who go to Thailand and who sort of evoke him by doing that, I think. Oh, that makes total yeah, that makes total sense. Did you know that Ethan was gonna come back as to get the second chapter for the structure as the final chapter? I think I don't think I knew it immediately, but I had some sense of it as I was working that I wanted to because you you want some sort of cup to hold the thing. You know, you want the, the story to be contained and, and that was a way to, to do it. Yeah, and he's sometimes he was going to come back, and he's much older. Or wait, when we leave him in the first when story, leave, he's he older. Gets, he gets to be forty, or yeah, he turns forty in the in the first story, and then he's something like forty three in the last one. This is what my editor made me write down as I was doing it. Um, so he, we, but he he was younger when he when we started with him. We knew him from the time he was a young boy and he's in his forties by the end. Well, Joan, also with the secrets of happiness, when did you decide that this was the title for this novel? Um, it was the title of the first story when it was published separately. And I just liked that. I I liked the, you know, the resonance of it. I meant it with some irony. I I thought I don't have the secret to happiness. You know, if I did, I could sell a lot of books. Um, so I, I hoped that people would take it in it like, yeah, Secret of Happiness, great, you know, um, th- that they would understand some some irony in the, the And the sorrow, I think, because that's yeah. what it seems that it's, when you were saying earlier, that the unjust world. That we live in, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but um, and, and there's lots of secrets in the story. People are, you know, the father has kept this whole secret and other other people, and in fact, one reason... I think that I chose to make Ethan gay is that Ethan has a secret the whole time he's growing up. So he's also dealt uh, with that in the, in the story. That duality or that double life almost yeah. just to start yeah. with. Yeah. Joan, you mentioned that you used to write linked stories. How did that differ as a, as a form from what this, this form has become I, for I, you? I feel like I've taken just baby steps. Along. I, um, I, Started, I mean, I started life as a regular novelist, and then I wrote regular stories, and then I moved into these. But I think um, Ideas of Heaven as a, as a group of linked stories isn't so different from what this is as a novel. It's a little different, but I think it's that same um, what's, to me, expansive about the form is the same in both. It's just more united. I feel like I, I work in this form that gets lots of people in at once you know um and and it was just a gradual move toward making it more unified more novel like Joan you also you mentioned earlier that when you you started writing you were writing poems when did you 
feel you were going to be a writer? What, what was it like for you? Well, I think I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was very, you know, I was, I was an impassioned reader. You know, my mother would say the house could burn down and you have your nose in a book you wouldn't even notice. And I would think, how else do you read? That's the, you know, that's what you do when you read. Um, So uh, I always wanted to write, but I did, I loved poems. I wanted to write poems. And then I think when I got out of, and I went, and I went to, you know, various poetry groups when I got out of college, but I think at one point, oh, I know what happened when, I mean, I was starting to move in, you know, to try fiction and not knowing what to do. Um, My mother died when I was in my twenties and I wanted to write about that. And I didn't want to write about it in poems. I wanted to, you know, the fiction is, is in some ways more effective for conveying character. I mean, that's what the form of it is often about. I mean, it can happen in poems, but quite differently. Um, so I, I, I felt that fiction, I needed fiction to, um, to do what I wanted to do. And that's when I, and in my complete ignorant arrogance, I thought, oh, I'll just write a novel. You know, I didn't have any, I didn't think, oh, I should write more stories first. I had just a few stories I tried to write, you know. I had one short short that was um, in a, in a, in Red Book um, when I was very young. That was exciting. But otherwise, no one had ever published anything I'd written, you know, and I just was going to jump in and write a novel. Um, and but don't you think that's necessary too? Like that, that brassing, that, you know, brassiness, that bravery I or that naivete (laughs) well the naivete was really helpful in my case um not knowing any better i think that um everybody is different and i think that what's essential for i mean some writers need more humility you know um so it just depends for every person it's going to be different you need some nerve to do it you have to you have to think that you're allowed to do it but um you know it's it's different for everyone it really is and am i right in thinking that i'm hearing that so you wrote the novel um as a way you were sort of taking on grief in a way and loss. Well, I took the point of view of the mother, actually. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, so it's not so much a book about grief. It's trying to understand her life. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's just, but it was material I wanted to work with. And that was the way to work with that. How did you do that? Was it something that, how did you, how did you try to understand your mother's life? Because she had, maybe you had, had you had lots of conversations with her before she died, Joan? I never told her I was going to write anything. Um, I had been um, at odds with her a lot, so I'd had quite active struggles with her shortly before the time I was writing it. No, I didn't. I mean, I I researched it in the sense of wanting to know um, what happened in the, you know, in the years before I was born. I was writing her about her as a young woman. Um, So, you know, I had to do actual low-level historical research, but I didn't no, I didn't. Sometimes I, sometimes I asked questions of, I asked my aunt, what was the first thing she remembered, actually? Um, and she said um, that she remembered, they, they, grew, they all grew up in Newark, which is a sizable city. Um, and she remembered cows being led down the street from, they had been taken from a, probably a, um, you know, the railroad. Um, and they were being led to a slaughterhouse. Um, but she remembered the cows being led down the street. And I thought, boy, that's a different Newark. We don't have any cows on the street now, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so that I remember, I don't think I used that. Or if I did, it was very small. But I did, you know, I did try and talk to them about things that I couldn't have known. 
Oh, that's so interesting too. Cause when you said what she first remembered, I thought it was going to be connected directly to your mother instead of like, what's a first yeah. memory just to be in the setting, to be in this, yeah. the, the time of it. She was an aunt by marriage, so they wouldn't have known each other. I just wanted to get a sense of the, uh, the, the setting. And did you, did you interview people that did know your mother before you knew before your time? Well, I lived with people who knew my mother, you know, so it wasn't any, um, but I think I, I think I wanted the opposite. I wanted some, it, it, it wasn't a factual account. It was a novel. Right. So right. I wanted to think right. of ways I could uh, transform it. Uh, so that, so I, beyond the history, you know, I didn't, I didn't need to do any more personal research. I mean, you know, your own parent pretty well. I didn't know her as a young woman, but you, you know, you know, your own parent pretty well. So I, you know, I just sort of jumped in. That was your first novel. Right. And then, and then with your ways of working, Joan, do you often have, do you have a single project or do you, you have things in different, different stages? What's your process like or your ways I, of working? I can only do one project at a time, I have to say. Um, and um, so now I'm working on the next book and I'm on the second chapter of it. So, um, but I don't know what comes after this. You know, I barely know what's going to happen in this chapter. So again, I'm making it up as I go along, but I'm, I'm working in the same process. The thing that I think is eccentric about me is that I don't write rough drafts and then go back and redo the whole thing. I sort of, I work on the sentences as I go. So I would write, like I would begin every day by looking at what I wrote yesterday as a way to get into it. And then I would fix some of the sentences from yesterday which would cause me to see things more clearly, you know, like, oh, I say, well, what she really wants is this. Um, and then I would go into the next day and the next day would be written a little more roughly, but it's never like, you know, done very quickly. It's always bit by bit, very slowly. And it's pretty much done when I'm finished with it. I don't have to go over the whole thing again. Yeah, it seems like that process of coming to the, looking at what you've had from the, the day before also, it situates you into the back into that headspace very yeah. clearly. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Don't you, I love that, that there can be there's so many different various ways of working and how it seems like from this conversation, Joan, this writing to discover is, is a value and a risk that you're willing that you yeah. want to take. Yes, and that's a good way to put it. And I think that's always been true of me. I think I've always written in a writing to discover mode. I take a lot of notes before. I try and imagine as much as I can, and then I'm very frustrated that I don't have more. Um, but I but I do pre-think it, but it never takes me that far. Should we say something about the art of time and fiction? How did you decide which writers you wanted to, were these writers that you, yeah, how did you decide which writers you wanted to write about as your sort of examples and ones you were looking at? This came about because um, Charles Baxter was was editing this series, this wonderful series, and he and I had given a lecture at Warren Wilson on long times in fiction, and he thought maybe I could do all you know something on time, or I or he asked what I wanted to do, and I said I wanted to do time. I knew I wanted to do time, and then um, of course I picked writers I loved. That was the main thing. Um, and I wanted to do world writers. I didn't want to just do American and English writers um, for the same reason I like to travel, right? I wanted a larger expanse. Um, and then um, 
you know, I, I just had a great time doing it. Um, friends helped me. I knew I had to do Proust and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm any kind of Proust expert. So my friend Kathleen Hill, who was thanked in the book, helped me greatly with that. And, and I think she helped me with Henry James too, if there's any Henry James stuff in there. So, um, uh, but I picked things I liked is the, is the, is the short answer. But when you said, well, I knew I had to do Proust, when people think of time, and long time, you know, is that why, like, you're thinking you have to reckon with the. No, in, in his case, I felt like I can't, I can't not do him. That would be, that would be really, you know, a book with a big hole in it, if I'm talking about time. Um, but the other stuff, I was really following my nose. And in fact, there's a long section on um, a Chinese writer, Yu Hua, um, To Live, which was a great movie also. And I just got a an email saying that my local library, which is, I live on the edge of Chinatown. I live between the Lower East Side and Chinatown. My local library is doing um, a special thing on his book. Um, and we're all, you know, we're all going to have a group discussion of his book. So I was so excited to see that. Is that going to be via Zoom so folks can join in on that? Gonna, probably, probably. I have to, I have to click the thing to find out, but I assume it's Zoom. So, yeah. I love when these things, it's like almost like they're friends, these yeah. writers and oh. ideas that we, we hold. What are your current writer obsessions? Oh, who do I love now? Um, I love, um, I loved Julia Phillips book, um, Disappearing Earth, which I thought was wonderful. And that's also linked pieces, although it, it was certainly published as a novel. Um, I loved, this book came out a few years ago and some people hated it, but I loved A Little Life. Uh, it's Hanya Yanagihara is the author of this book, um, A Little Life, which came out maybe five years ago, but which I loved. Um, that was a favorite. I love Charles Baxter's new book. I thought that was wonderful. Yes. Um, I love Margot Livesey's new book. You know how you have compatriot writers in, yeah. in your, is that, are they two of your compatriots? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Living yeah. ones. And then, yeah. yeah. And then we've got the ones that have gone before yeah. <laughs> that are in, in this book, The Art of Time in Fiction, as long as it takes. Joan, where are you going to travel next when we can all travel again? One place on my list I've been to before, and in fact, it's a little bit in Secrets of Happiness, is Singapore. Um, I, wanted to, I want to go back and spend more time there. Joan, it's been so lovely getting a chance to talk with you today. So Thank good to you so much. It's been wonderful for me to, to be here. Today on Living Writers, Joan Silber, her latest novel out this May, Secrets of Happiness. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. Say to you.
right, we're here today. We're going to do the One Reaction with Levy music breakdown. It's our first one, and on the show today, it is the Jake Wild. Jake, how are you doing today? Good. Happy to be here, Taya. Thanks for having right. me. I'm going to give it yeah. to you. Take it away. Take us through those songs. Sure. So um, me and Taya were basically thinking about a cool way that we could break down music on this show, on this podcast. We were thinking that maybe um, we could take a song that a lot of people know, and then break it down to its core and show how these songs that everybody loves and hears every day on the radio were written and how um, give you kind of a, a closer look in the studio on the day that they were writing it as close as a look as we can, even though we weren't there either. Mm -hmm. So the song we chose for this week was uh, God's Plan by Drake. Obviously a very popular song. Um, part of the reason we chose it was because it was so popular, it was so recent, and um, that it went diamond. So Basically, for our viewers that might not know, um, Diamond, there's only been, I think, 34 artists that have had a song or a record go Diamond. So it's obviously this great achievement. Um, I don't know the number off the top of my head of a record that goes Diamond, but it's like, I think it's like 800,000 albums sold or something crazy like that. Crazy. So crazy. Yeah. So what we thought we'd do is go through um, some of the writers and the producers on God's Plan Something that um, a lot of people don't know is on Spotify, you can actually view all this, I think on Apple Music too. So definitely something to look at um, because you have all these people in the room that their names aren't on the song. They're not on the uh, Spotify track when you, when you plug in your headphones to play it, but they're all a huge part of why the song is what it is. So, yeah. All right, so now let's go through writers and producers. We're gonna start here. Brock Corson, Jake, take it away. Sure. So 